Ladies and gentlemen, people of the internet, welcome back to yet another episode of Crypto Over Coffee. Today is the 75th episode, by the way, which is amazing. Hope you're doing well today. And if you're new here, every Saturday we break down the latest news and the hottest topics in the world of technology and cryptocurrency over a cup of delicious coffee. With that being said, in today's episode, I'm talking about Cardano, Icon, Dogecoin, Founders Tweets, our usual 404 Logic Not Found segment, and more. So make sure you stick around for all of the updates today. Now, as always, let's kick it off with questions from you, the awesome folks who support Crypto Over Coffee. Thank you for that. If you want one of your questions answered, please leave them in the comments down below on YouTube. Tweet me at Hishoshi4. And if you would be so inclined, please do subscribe to the channel, hit the bell notification button, or follow the podcast on your platform of choice. You can get a heads up whenever I post new episodes of Crypto Over Coffee. And finally, if you are a Cardano ADA holder, please do consider delegating to my stake pool, which has a ticker symbol of H4SH. Thank you in advance for that. And let's go ahead and dive into the very first question of the day. Now, that very first question of the day is from Kevron Creates. Kevron, thank you for your question. The first question is, how do sidechains work and how are they different from layer two solutions? Now, at their core, to be honest with you, there's a very fine line between these two things. The first thing that you need to really know in this regard is the very basic fact, which is that layer twos, general, in a general sense, depend on the security guarantees and the finality of the layer one chain to which they pertain. For example, the Lightning Network on Bitcoin is a true layer two because it relies on the security guarantees of the Bitcoin network. When you pull your funds back down from the Lightning Network, that is when uh, everything gets reconciled and minted into a block effectively, right? So that last sort of commit transaction at the very end is really what um, you know, your your security guarantee relies on. So therefore, a sort of consensus based attack, for example, like a 51% attack, or, you know, a general civil attack will not risk necessarily loss of funds on the layer two in a general sense, this is not a 100% uh, true all the time type of rule, but in a general sense. However, on a side chain, you have either proof of authority side chains or proof of stake side chains most often. Technically, Polygon is a side chain in a sense. The side chain side of things, pun intended, I guess, is that it has its own security guarantees. It has its own consensus mechanism. Therefore, if there is a consensus driven hack or exploit on that layer, on that side chain, you do have a risk of losing funds. So broad brushstrokes, the very basic sense, layer twos depend on the layer one security guarantees, side chains have their own security guarantees. That is the main difference. Thank you for your question. Second question is from Brandon Kent. <laughs> Man, I just want to be your friend. Is that weird? Uh, no, that is not weird. Thank you. Consider us friends. Please consider asking questions. Keep asking questions, folks. I love this, this stuff. The third question of the day is from Taj Street. How can we fix the issue of most proof-of-stake nodes being hosted on one of the major cloud services effectively centralizing the network? So this is something that I'm kind of torn on. I first of all do agree that there is a, a distinct challenge in other, you know, relying on a, an external party. It's not even just cloud services, but either, even external uh, you know, hardware companies and others for running nodes, right? Because you are relying on separate entities. If they decide all of a sudden, hey, terms of service say you can't run these nodes, what happens? I totally can understand that. I think though that people are maybe um, 
not thinking about the alternative, which is that most people do not have the capacity for uptime. So your, your internet connection in residential areas is not good. You don't have redundant connections. You don't have consistent connections, which is important for proof of stake nodes. You get slashed if you don't have, basically you get penalized and lose crypto if you don't maintain uptime. You also don't necessarily have redundant power, meaning in the event of a power outage due to a storm or some other thing, your power goes out, your internet goes out, and your servers go out. And then most people don't have space or the skills to build, you know, solid hardware infrastructure, racks of servers in their home. So therefore, for a lot of, you know, more intensive proof of stake networks that require some significant hardware, and they require constant uptime, it just doesn't make sense for you to try and run it at home. So unless you're saying that you can run a proof of stake node on a Rock Pi or a Raspberry Pi or a consumer computer, and you can create a battery backup for your internet, so you're going to have constant uptime, and in the event of a power outage, you're going to stay online, totally fair. I think that that's great. But I do think that there's going to have to be some movement and some sort of... Um, I guess, sharing of the responsibility here, because just by using an, a third party for your hosting and things like that, in some cases is actually a benefit. Of course, there are trade-offs, but net, I really don't think that this is the biggest deal in the world. And I think people who make it into a giant deal are kind of exaggerating and ignoring the other side of it, which I, I just described, right? Like what is the alternative consumer side of things? Uh, can you even do it on the consumer side of things? So uh, there's going to have to be change along the way. I have a feeling that's going to be moving towards consumer, you know, computers and, and consumer based technologies in the future. Um, but in the short term, I think it's OK that there are cloud services and external providers running these things. Thank you for your question. And that is going to do it for the questions today, folks. I took a, f a couple less questions today and we've got a little bit shorter of an episode because today is my wife's birthday. Uh, so I'm going to go spend time with her. But let's go ahead and uh, dive into the rest of the news section. All right, folks, as always, just a friendly reminder, please be aware of scammers that are in the comments that are posing as me and other crypto YouTubers. They're going to ask you for WhatsApp or to contact them for trading advice, whatever. I will not ask you to contact me. So if the comment does not have the name highlighted like you see here, it is not me and you can report them. So please be safe out there and be cognizant of scammers. Now, in partnership with the folks at Keystone, I give away a Keystone tablet steel seed phrase backup in every episode. And I do that by picking a random comment from the video. And then I'm also going to give away one Keystone hardware wallet per month, also by random comment draw. So just for transparency, though, these products are only available in select regions. So if you win and you're from an unsupported one, I'll send you some Bitcoin instead. Now, the winner of last week's giveaway for the Keystone is here on the screen. You see the random draw. So big congratulations to you. And of course, I will be in touch. Quick coffee break. Latte from Mudhouse Roasters today. All right, folks, it's another week and another crypto market update and Bitcoin price analysis session that centers around the general era of malaise around the markets with prices continuing to trend downwards effectively for two months now. Chief among the fears right now is this pattern we're seeing with Bitcoin in the low 30,000 30, continuing to test that psychological level of support week to week at 30K. Traditional market analysis will tell you that retesting support levels like this repeatedly week over week, which I tend to believe actually, says that you will eventually weaken that support. But we also did see Ether do the same thing with the $2,000 mark, kept hitting that $2,000 support, and then it dipped below and rebounded back. What I think we're going to see is Bitcoin and Ether below 30k and 2k respectively, 
for a brief period of time before we see any reversal to positive price action. The truth is though, just because there is a two in front of the number instead of a three for Bitcoin, doesn't mean that dipping to 29K is much different than 30K, except in one's own mind. It's a psychological level. I know that seeing prices dip into territory that we saw last year hurts, and it might signal more losses for folks that bought in at the top. But if you believe in this space long-term, this is short-term chop relative to the long-term trend that we've seen to date in the market. My belief in crypto as a whole is not shaken, but I do acknowledge that people have been led to believe that the bull market would never end. And that is simply just not how things work. In the altcoin world as well, you see 50, 60, 70, hell, even 90% losses since the top. And that is a horrible experience for investors that I wish could be avoided. What I will tell you is that these periods right now are make or break for projects and investors alike. Building, working hard, tightening the belt, and focusing on the product and not the price. History is never a perfect indicator, but anyone who bought at the height of the bull market in 2017 or bought the bear market in 2018 is still in profit right now in many cryptocurrencies. And that should put some peace of mind in people's heads. If you're long in this market, the outlook is good if we're looking at historical trends. That said, it is never guaranteed, so you must practice good risk management and take your profits when you can. You know that I've campaigned this forever, so this is not a fleeting thought. Now, I actually do want to kind of take that topic and continue there. That topic of profit taking is sort of a great segue into a quick word about the sponsor of Crypto Over Coffee, Ledin. My profit taking strategy personally has long been focused on setting myself price thresholds to take money off the table, where let's say an investment hits 20% return I might take 10% of the total value I have in that off the table and take profit. And when I take profit, I almost invariably take profits to either Bitcoin, which is like the savings account in crypto for me, or to a stable coin of which my favorite is USDC or USD coin. Now, the way I've leveled up that strategy for profit taking over time is using Ledin to hold on to my USDC and Bitcoin from profit taking where I can earn compound interest on the assets. Ledin is one of my favorite places to earn yield on cryptocurrency where it can quickly be redeployed to the market if I want to, but I can also earn interest in a set it and forget it type of way, which is pretty critical. In DeFi, of course, you can earn more yield. I can earn more yield, but it requires more attention, which I sometimes cannot give. So Ledin is a great way for my profit-taking exercises where I can earn that 6 to 9.5% interest on assets without having to worry about it at all. So if you haven't already, check out Ledin through the link in the description below if you want to try it out. And thank you to Ledin for keeping the lights on for Crypto Over Coffee. Quick coffee break, that being said. Okay. So this next story is one that I have to say just shows the work and the progress that's been made to date in this still very nascent crypto space since the day that I read the Bitcoin white paper in 2010. If you hold me accountable and you really go back then and say, would you have ever thought where we are today is 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 really what would happen? I would have told you you're crazy. But anyway, one of my favorite people in the space, Eric Voorhees, and who is the founder of Shapeshift, the decentralized exchange platform, just announced what I believe to be the first instance of a notable crypto exchange, a notable crypto company dissolving their corporate entity and moving towards a DAO or a decentralized autonomous organization structure. This means that there will no longer be a business entity behind Shapeshift's many platform operations. No banks, no board of directors to answer to. You get the idea. This move will come with Shapeshift's major code bases also being open sourced. And 
those that can't be open sourced will be proactively moved in the direction of open sourcing according to this news, which is fantastic, right? Transparency. The end result being an organization that is decentralized and run through what I guess you could call a governance foundation where decisions are made by the community like you and me through voting uh, as token holders. Not only is this consistent with what Voris has discussed for many years as, as what the future of business is, but this is a company or well, what used to be a company walking the walk and not just talking the talk. If you've used Shapeshift in the last year or so, you will also probably be able to claim some Fox tokens that are being airdropped. And if you watch this channel, you probably have used Shapeshift because I've talked about it a ton. So anyways, the core governance token of the Shapeshift ecosystem, Fox tokens, if you've used Shapeshift in the recent year or so, you will probably have a nice airdrop, so go check that out. Uh, anyway, it's it's almost emotionally moving to see something like this happening because it's, it's proof that there is something to this, that we're on the right track here. The industry is maturing and, and this sort of DAO-based business model can work. So it's been a couple weeks also since I talked about ICON, the interoperability-focused blockchain project that has been striding towards a 2.0 version of its mainnet over the last year or so. In partnership with Icon Plus, a public representative on Icon, we donate to charitable causes whenever I mention Icon on the show. So uh, we'll, I'll let you know what the charity is going to be this month. Anyways, this week, I want to talk about the new blockchain project in the Icon world called ICE or ICE, which I can only assume is named in a combination of Icon and Ethereum or ICE. Essentially, this network is being built with the underlying framework for Polkadot-compatible blockchains called Substrate and will feature compatibility with WebAssembly and the Ethereum virtual machine for smart contracts, giving it the ability to function as a bridge between many different networks at the application layer. This ICE blockchain is not going to be some peripheral part of the ICON ecosystem, though. It will be the core application layer where smart contracts will be executed in the ICON ecosystem, leaving the existing ICON blockchain to serve as the network layer with the BTP interoperability protocol at the core. This shift will mean that current ICX coin holders will also be airdropped one-to-one ICE tokens for this new blockchain at launch towards the end of this year. So more to come on this soon, but wanted to shout that out because it's a really pretty big announcement. Next up, folks, is today's game of fact or FUD, where I take a piece of no good, very bad news and tell you whether it is fact or simply fear, uncertainty, and doubt. Towards the end of this week, a nice big firestorm erupted as a result of commentary about crypto by Larry Fink, the CEO of the legendary asset management company BlackRock. Larry Fink described in these statements how there is little to no demand for cryptocurrency, at least from his viewpoint or that of BlackRock. It was kind of hard to understand or it was kind of unclear what the scope was in terms of what he's pulling from in terms of data. But anyway, now... This, of course, hit a sore spot for people that are already upset about the bearish price movement that we've been seeing and that we've been having in the market. And more bad news like this from people who are in positions of respect was not welcome to say the least. But what I want to question here is, is is what Larry Fink is saying indicative of the end? Is low demand for crypto in BlackRock customers really a marker of serious problems for crypto? I mean... I'm unconvinced it's the end of the world. Is it good? No, but it's not surprising, really, is it? We're in the middle of a markedly bearish time with little excitement in crypto, even outside of you know the, the normal people who like crypto. And BlackRock's sophisticated clientele are only going to get excited when prices are popping. Not to mention the fact that BlackRock's 
And all of those types of companies of the world have been bashing cryptocurrency as criminal fodder and worthless dirt for years now. So why would the masses of their clientele really want to buy crypto in the first place? I will also state that most individual people who want to buy crypto are not going to big asset managers like BlackRock to do it. They can go to an exchange or a DeFi platform way more easily. So all in all, do I think that this is nothing news? Well, no, because a lack of ravenous demand at BlackRock just shows that we're not even the ballpark of a bull market. But it's also not calamity either. So I'm going to have to call this one FUD, folks. Even though there's some validity to the news, it's just nothing we didn't already know. Now, folks, it is time for 404 Logic Not Found. And for those of you who are as of yet uninitiated in this little firecracker of a segment, I highlight notable tech-related fails or otherwise just stupid moves in the world that need to get some attention. And speaking of attention, if you want to help this episode of Crypto Over Coffee get some attention from the algorithm robots, please do hit that like button, get subscribed, follow the podcast, because it tells those robots that you're enjoying the content that you're watching or that you're listening to, and others might also do the same. So a big thank you for that in advance. It really does help the show. Okay, by now. It has probably ripped through the fabric of space-time and caused the classic battle of echo chambers, but the founder of Dogecoin, Jackson Palmer, took to Twitter this week to let us know how he really feels about cryptocurrency, and wow, it was almost impressive how heavy-handed he went with the diatribe. Let's just get this one thing out of the way right up front. Jackson Palmer has never really been a cryptocurrency advocate or an involved founder, if you will. He's the guy who forked Bitcoin as a half-joke, half-experiment and created Dogecoin with no real intent of it being anything. And I think you can probably find documentation of him saying it in that exact way. It was a joke, it was an experiment, it was for research, what have you. I think people are shocked that he feels this way, but in fact, he never really expressed any love for cryptocurrency that I've seen in the past. We just didn't know how he hated it so much or why. Anyways, the Cliff Notes version is that cryptocurrency is for scammers, criminals, tax evaders, and right-wing scumbags, and that cryptocurrency investors are effectively being taken to the cleaners by lying founders and billionaires who want to get rich on retail investors' dime. Now, I will give Jackson this. That last point is not all the way off. Let's be real. There's lots of snake oil scamming and billionaire bait going on, but... That's where my agreement with any of what he said kind of comes to an end. And even that is limited in scope because he's overstating it here. Anyways, here's one of the more heavy hitting sections. And I will quote this time, not paraphrase. I believe that cryptocurrency is an inherently right-wing, hyper-capitalistic technology built primarily to amplify the wealth of its proponents through a combination of tax avoidance, diminished regulatory oversight, and artificially enforced scarcity. Now, there's a lot more to this, so feel free to check it out in full. I will link the thread below. There's lots of interesting stuff in here. But the major issue I have with this is that Jackson Palmer is making extremely broad generalizations about not only an entire industry, but he's also ignoring the myriad of positive elements that cryptocurrency and its ancillary technological underpinnings bring to the world. First and foremost... Just because there is a large swath of sort of pseudo-anarchic LARPers who try and pretend like crypto's number one use case is to evade taxes or perform some other criminal enterprise doesn't mean that the majority do. In fact, I have personally seen more suspect activity in traditional financial services than I have in crypto thus far. And I've been involved in crypto for a long time and I've always followed the rules. So if we're really talking about sheer volume from my perspective, I don't agree. 
Secondly, politically generalizing is never a good idea. Just don't do it in any sense. Right wing, left wing, whatever wing you are, if you're respectful towards me and others, we're cool and that's it. So anyways, greed in this case is immovable. It is immutable. And cryptocurrency, just like the dot-com boom, just like the mobile phone wars, just like the cloud wars, just like every other big evolution or every other big industry that came in the history of the world has been marked by greed. People take advantage of others to profit. People who take advantage of the vacuum created in the lag time of regulatory response to brand new technologies. That greed does not mean that there are no positive to be found in the net result of the growing pains and the turbulence and all the challenges, right? Look at the internet. Look at a lot of things that have had positive and negative impacts. Cryptocurrency and its underlying technology will likely be a mechanism for the global borders of economy to be broken down. For good, it will likely provide financial services to people around the world who have never had any. It will likely be a rail on which private by default digital identity can be built. It will also likely provide a means for those facing hefty inflation or asset devaluation to find a safe haven, much like gold has done for centuries. And very few people really hate gold as an evil thing, even though it's used for bad stuff all the time. I can cherry pick many problems with crypto and the industry around it but I can also pick many positives. It's about juxtaposing those positives and those negatives and realizing that nothing is all good nor all bad, but a sum of both ends of that equation. To me, crypto is a net positive, despite the unquestionable faults, mostly human-related, that have come of its nascence and lack of maturity. To others, it is a net negative, and that perspective is key. I respect that. But I don't find that it is tenable to unilaterally and, and completely in a biased fashion attack an entire industry, a population of people, and a barely infantile technology like this with no measure or acknowledgement of an alternative perspective. That, my friends, is a 404 logic not found. It is now our job to lead by example such that Jackson and the many people who share his views realize the positive impact this technology has and will continue to have as it matures and how that outweighs the negatives that we can all not really deny. Now, for fans of the 404 Logic Not Found series on Crypto Over Coffee, I have good news. You have asked, I have listened, and there will be a brand new show on the channel that is an entire show dedicated to 404 Logic Not Found. The way it will work is that this will come out on Wednesdays every other week, and it will be full of the same content style you know and love, but with some additional new ideas that I've integrated into it to make it even more fun. So it's going to be a fun show. I want to thank you for supporting what I do and telling me that you want this. I really appreciate it. And I also did at the very end here want to shout out a pretty cool project in the Cardano space that is seeking funding in the upcoming Catalyst Fund 5 round incubator for projects in the ecosystem. And that project itself is dubbed Cardano NFT Key. And I have no affiliation whatsoever with it besides the fact that I know and respect the people building it. So there's no sponsorship here. The reason I decided to shout it out on video is because the idea is one that I think has a lot of merit as a composable element of applications on Cardano in the future. NFT Key essentially is a project that's looking to use Cardano non-fungible tokens as an authentication certificate or tokens for a variety of use cases in that authentication world. Essentially, it's like a light version of what many digital identity platforms are looking to build. Now, in practice, what this would mean is that you could either A, use a signed message digest or proof of ownership, if you will, of an NFT on Cardano to log into a variety of dApps or even to access content that NFT pertains to in a secure way. 
or B, you could build a selective sharing mechanism for users to attest to certain qualifications or facts or characteristics when signing up or signing into an application in a completely sovereign way. The first of these two concepts is arguably the most immediate benefit because one can use their existing Cardano wallet or private key to sign a proof that shows that they own a given NFT by its unique identifier. And that could give one access to the locked piece of content like a video or film or music that only the true owner of that NFT could see. This could also work for giving folks access to dApps with some semblance of a user account mechanism, like a login mechanism. So it's really cool stuff here and I will be voting for this on the Catalyst Fund voting process. So if you haven't voted in Catalyst before, I will leave a link down below for instructions and how to get started. But just know that you have to register before the 19th of July. So that's in two days, I think. So do that today or tomorrow. And then voting opens on the 22nd of July through to the 2nd of August. And I think you need a minimum amount of ADA to participate. Off the top of my head, I think it's maybe 500 ADA, but someone can correct me in the comments below if I'm off on that amount. Uh, so definitely check out NFT key and I will leave some information down below on that. Now, folks, thank you so much for watching Crypto Over Coffee. As always, if you do have some time to stick around, please do check out this video I made about an awesome opportunity for U.S. investors to basically create an IRA, a retirement account, where they can create tax-advantaged crypto trading strategies on iTrust Capital. Uh, really interesting stuff. I'm a big fan of it, using it myself, so please do check it out if you have the time. But regardless, thank you so much for watching, as always. I hope you and your family have a wonderful weekend and week ahead. And until next time, cheers. But he's also ignoring the myriad of positive elements that cryptocurrency and its ancillary technological underpinning, underpinnings